at the end of our days, we want to be proud of how we spent that day. At the end of our lives, we want to be equally proud of the decisions that we've made. To do this, we need to face the hard. We need to talk it out. We need to lean into community, relatability, and understanding. We need to hear how other people got it together, how they overcame the shame, hurt, toxicity, and past trauma, and chose to move forward but nobody talks about the hard stuff enough. Life is tough and confusing, and yet we try to glide over the struggles like the glaze on a donut and expect to come out unscathed on the other side. We don't deal with the hard, we just keep moving forward, distracting ourselves with scrolling, Netflix binges, and a busy, busy life. But none of us wanna feel like we're drowning or settling in the one life that we've been given, and that's where this show comes in. I long to be a piece of the puzzle that not only extends a hand, but comes alongside of you to live well and to live with joy. On the Living Easy podcast, I dig deep and talk about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing. We talk about the nitty gritty of marriage from living like roommates to the confusion of sex and intimacy. We talk about the reality of losing friendships and the art of making new ones as an adult because let's be honest, it is not always easy. And we explore essential life principles like real forgiveness, making perfect memories in imperfect homes, and how to deepen your relationship with God in a way that genuinely changes how you live and how you love. God has used the Living Easy podcast to touch hearts in nearly every country in this world. I started this journey with just a computer on my lap as a nursing mom. And since that point, I've had the incredible privilege of connecting with millions of people worldwide through my platforms and through my online courses, such as The Wife Project, From Roommates to Soulmates. At the heart of it all, it is people who make my world go round. Relationships matter, and how you feel about your life at the end of your life is of great importance. And that is why I pour my heart into connecting with you. People are everything to me, and I share my own stories of my mess, the hardships, and my big mistakes on this podcast, paired with all of the wisdom and the lessons that I have learned along the way to bring you freedom. So let's be friends, click subscribe, grab your favorite warm beverage, and get cozy. I'm Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay Maestas, and today I am so eager and excited to introduce you to my guest, Jessica Weaver. Jessica is the author of Confessions of a Money Queen, and when I tell you how just like relevant this is in our world right now when inflation is at an all-time high and people are struggling with finances, has the wisdom and the knowledge to provide to us. So Jessica, I just want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here, Lindsay, and dive right into whatever you have in mind you want to talk about today. I am ready. Yay. Okay, wonderful. Yes, well, I'm so excited. Tell me a little bit, Jessica, about how you got to this point in your life. What was maybe a little bit of your story that led you to want to help others with retirement and their finances? Ooh, so Lindsay, I grew up in the industry, the financial industry. I have been a wealth advisor since 2010, but my father's been one for probably 40 years now. So oh. I remember being on the family room rug, stuffing envelopes for his business <laughs> to get the word out, interning in the summers, uh, doing all the filing, the paperwork. And when I graduated college, I just got dove right in. I got all my licenses done. I did, took all the tests. I went for my CFP, the Certified Financial Planner designation. Mm-hmm. And 
In the beginning, I did what most people do. I did what I was expected to do. I did what I was told to do, what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I just started to kind of blend in with everybody else. In the financial industry, it's a very male-dominated industry. We, right. Women advisors, we make up only 18%, and that number hasn't changed in 20 years. Wow, really? 20 years. That's very years. surprising to me. It is. And I joined my father's firm and it was all male advisors. And this is very typical where the back office support, you know, 80, 90% are women. So there were Mm -hmm. women in the firm, but they weren't client facing. They weren't doing the sales, the relationships and things like that. So I quickly felt at a place. So I tried very hard to blend in. And I, I even reached out to some successful female advisors and they very quickly told me they do not have time for me. And wow. it broke my heart. So I retreated and I continued on this path doing what I was told to do, what I was expected to do. And I feel like I lost a part of myself. I remember looking at the mirror, you know, probably about five years and not even recognizing myself anymore. I kind of lost that light, that spark about me. And on the same note, I also noticed the work we were doing with our clients, while it it is good, strong work and it's necessary, but I would see us helping people pay off the debt and then they would find themselves back in debt a few years later. Or they're terrified they're not going to have enough money. We build up their assets with them to, you know, million, two, three million dollars, and they're still terrified. So we were helping them, but we weren't really fixing the core, the root issues. So I feel like those two pieces were right next to each other, you know, losing myself and the work not being enough, wanting to dive in even deeper with our clients, finding real lasting ways of making a change for their lives, and also to Mm -hmm. cut it from moving from one generation to the next. Because usually if your parents are in debt, you're going to be in debt. Or if your parents were abused, you're going to be abused, right? We see these multi-generational patterns happening with relationships, with money and things. So within a few years, I begged my father, can I stop doing these very generic retirement seminars? And can I just focus on women? Because that's where I saw my spark kind of light up. Yeah. And I would start doing, you know, events just for women. I started my blog, Not Your Father's Advisor. And that spurred my first book, Strong Women, Stronger Assets, which spurred more programs for women, more blogs to my next book, Time to Refine. And then finally, Confessions of a Money Queen. And last year, we launched the Women's Wealth Boutique, which is an all-female financial firm. It is a Fastest growing female-owned firm in the United States. We've onboarded seven advisors within a year, and we're onboarding two more as we speak. So it's been a good for huge you. Change. <laughs> yeah, I bet your dad is so proud of you. He is. He's very proud. He says, and this is that always makes me sad because recently he told me he's like. I always knew, he always knew deep down that I was probably going to leave at some point. Like He just didn't know what to do with me by the end. He said, I just miss seeing you every day <laughs> because we did open up our own office. And in town, I live and work within two, three miles. So my office is about three miles from my house. My kids' schools are on the way. I, As a working mom, I needed 
to be able to be close to home, mm-hmm. save time on that commute, or I can shuffle things around if I need to. So that was yeah. important to me. But yeah, he does miss seeing me. I mean, I'm sure that's such a re- cool gift to have the opportunity to build something like that with your parent and for them to see your journey and for them to probably, he probably felt so excited that you loved something that he loved. I think there's a lot of girls with daddy issues and not to say you don't have any struggles, but just who would love to have something like that. And then for you to make it your own, it's a really cool thing. So I just want to say congratulations because you should be so proud of yourself for everything that you've done. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's interesting after going through what I've gone through, I have met so many female advisors who, again, going back to what we initially said, how there's so few female advisors in the industry. So usually your mentor is like my father, a male in their 60s or 70s. So there's constantly this dynamic between these older male advisors kind of mentoring these younger female advisors. And I can relate to that dynamic so, so well with it. And this need to kind of wanting to please, Mm -hmm. you know, that male influence, that older male influence in your life while also trying to figure out how do I want to do this? I'm a woman or I'm a mom. I want to find my own path forward while still utilizing the guidance and we're so appreciative of it, but it it can be a challenging dynamic too as you're starting to break away from that relationship in a way or outgrow it maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And to come into your own with the growth of your female firm, that's such a beautiful thing because it, it inspires women, especially my younger audience. I'm always trying to encourage them to take that step to to go toward the risk because without risk, there's no success. And I'm sure that there have been moments of intimidation for you in launching a book. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe launching the firm, launching the books? Do you struggle with fear of failure? Do you struggle with intimidation? Do you ever have moments where you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Why am I doing these things? And how do you overcome that? Ooh, that's a good question, Lindsay. I was, we just had a big event for our firm, our Hidden Power Change Summit, and I spoke on imposter syndrome mm-hmm. because to me, I get this on a daily basis. It's impossible mm-hmm. not to because you think about it, you're constantly in new unknown territory. Your mind yeah. doesn't know how to function. There's no navigation system on how to navigate through this new level of wealth, this new level of leadership all of these pieces. And I shared a story that earlier this year, I was flown down to Dallas, Texas to speak at a nationwide conference. There was over 500 people in the audience. And I was going to be one of the, I might've been the only female advisor on stage over the two day event. And I brought my husband with me because he very rarely gets to see me in action on stage and speak. So he came up with me into the hotel room and I put on, because my whole brand is pink, this hot pink business suit, (laughs) (laughs) these sparkly platform sneakers. And I looked at myself in the mirror and you would think that I had this kind of superwoman moment. I'm going to change the world. And instead, I just completely deflated. And I wanted to go curl up in the corner and, or just go home, right? That's it. We're, we're going home. And my husband could immediately see my energy shift. Yeah. And he's like, what's wrong? 
I said to him, I'm having some really bad imposter syndrome. And I'm saying this as I'm taking off my business coat because I'm starting to spitz a little bit. <laughs> That's such a New Jersey thing. <laughs> you can tell I'm in New Jersey. And he goes, what's imposter syndrome? And I I was oh, sore. Wow. I go, I guess men don't deal with this. So I'm explaining to him, you know, not feeling like we're enough. I, I think I constantly. Very consistently, constantly have that feeling of not being enough. Mm-hmm. And what I've started to do, and I would not have been able to do, have so much growth. And even writing books, as you said before, that feels like you're walking around naked when you yes. write a book, especially if you're very vulnerable and honest, which I try to be with my readers. I want to create this kind of intimate space for us so they can see, you know, I've gone through things, I've made mistakes. I've messed up or been in wrong relationships. So they know it's okay, one. Two, they're not alone and we can talk about these things. Very similar to your show here, Mm -hmm. to have these vulnerable moments together. What I've started to do is this daily money practice, I call it, where every morning I come into my office at 8 a.m. after dropping my kids off. And I have very young kids, so I do need a moment. (laughs) <laughs> after rushing them out of the house. Yes. I do need a moment. And I sit down on the couch in my office and I journal, I meditate, I pray. I take this time to get grounded in who I am and why I'm doing this, why I'm so passionate about this work. And to remember that no matter what I accomplish today, I am more than enough. Yeah. And then I repeat this over not just myself, but my team, Mm. my advisors at the Women's Wealth Boutique, my clients, my family, for all of us to remember it because it is so important. We can get lost and bogged down in the negativity or the failures or people rejecting us. We have to really ground down in that feeling of being enough and what does that look like, feel like for each and every one of us. Amen. So interesting that you say that also about your husband, because I've seen that with my husband. He has moments of intimidation, but it really does seem like a lie that women believe more often than men, not to generalize, but that we're not enough and that we can't do it and we can't make it. And part of that might be like what you're seeing in the financial industry, that women are such a small fragment of the industry as a whole. And we feel like we can't necessarily level up, but your story and your experience shows that that is a lie and that there is opportunity. And that even though it is a really scary thing, and like you said, it's like putting yourself out completely naked with your books, that you still have successful books, that even though that fear was there, even though the intimidation was there, the growth and the success and the opportunity is also there. So yeah, I just wanted to touch on that because I think it's so important for people to see the real person behind the wisdom and and the knowledge as well. So we'll dive in now into some questions that will hopefully help our audience with the way that they manage their money. And one of the first things that I thought about before this conversation was, what are some of the most common financial challenges that you see among women in the 25 to 44 age group when it comes to planning for retirement? Like what are the hindrances that you see most often? Oh, good question, Lindsay, to tee (laughs) up. 
you know, well, my team and I were actually meeting yesterday to go over, we call it the state of the firm, kind of like the state of the union address. And we were diving into, you know, who do we love, love to work with? Mm-hmm. And I love working with these headstrong, they might be single or they're in a relationship, but they're financially independent or they want to be financially independent. And that seems to be a very big push for women in that demographic you just described is I want to know that I can support myself, that I'll be okay no matter what happens in my relationship or if I ever get into a relationship. Women, we tend to like to get very educated before we make an investment decision. And I commend women for this because it ends up making us very, very good investors. It might take us a little bit more time Mm -hmm. to pull the trigger and to start to invest, but we are more likely to stick with that investment, whereas men, they'll move very quickly, but they might flip-flop back and forth on their decisions. Mm -hmm. So getting education out there to women is huge for women to understand how their money can work for them instead of it just feeling like we're spending nonstop or spending recklessly, especially now with such high inflation Mm -hmm. as well. So the the first step really is understanding what is the flow of my money? Where is the money coming in from? We have our gross amount that we're paid, but then it gets whittled down, taxes, putting into health health insurance, 401ks. Then we have the net amount that hits our paycheck, and that's what we need to work with. So figuring out what are my top expenses? I hate the word budget. What are my top expenses? Is that where I really want to be spending my money? Mm-hmm. Now, to me, when you start to track the flow of your money, that's just opening you up to so many more options of what we can do with that money. And even looking at where am I spending my time, that's a huge indicator where you're spending your money mm-hmm. as well. Then as we're starting to track your expenses, and I talk about this in Confessions of a Money Queen as one of the money moves, now we see what we have left to work with, right? We're paying off debt, we get some extra money. As we're building up emergency funds for in our bank account, now we have some extra money. What do we want this money to do for our lives? And yes, we have retirement, but then we have this time between our working days and retirement. You probably have some goals you want to hit as well. So Lindsay, it's finding the balance of knowing I'm setting enough for retirement while also being able to enjoy my money today Mm -hmm. or in five, 10 years when I want that bigger house Mm -hmm. or to buy a rental property. I just got a new client and she spends ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year on travel, but it's yoga retreats. And a lot of her expenses are the chiropractor supplements. She's a pharmacist. So health is so important to her. That's great. I'm not gonna tell you she can't spend there, but now we know what her priorities are and we can create a plan around that mm, as okay. well. So I love that you create that balance because I think sometimes, and I'll just air my dirty laundry, I struggle with financial anxiety more than anybody I know in my life. And this is just something that I think I'm pretty sure I gained from a parent in my life, (laughs) my dad. He has always struggled with this to where there were Things that he would buy, he would buy extravagantly. He was a very, is a very generous man. And I remember one time he was a pilot. And so he took me to London with 
my stepmom and him, and we went to dinner with a bunch of the friends that he knew there because it was his hub. And we sat down to dinner and he basically was like, get all the food. He ordered a bunch of bottles of wine. We all sit at the table. He pays for everybody. And it created some confusion in my mind because when we're home, it's there's deep stress and anxiety over little spending, right? Like getting gas. It's very expensive. Life is very expensive, you know? I find now that with myself, when I'm buying gas or I'm paying for a bill, I have his voice in my head that's kind of like, this is expensive, this, da, 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 da. But then the big expenses don't seem like as big of a deal for me. This is counseling has helped me understand (laughs) a lot of this, but it's been very interesting for me to navigate it. And I think what I struggle with the most is appreciating life as it comes and spending on the things that I enjoy. Like you said, know your priorities and make a plan while also figuring out how to continue saving. And I think that I have really been convicted in my own heart lately of worshiping my savings account to put it in just a blatant way and saying, if it needs to continue growing, I need to be building. And sometimes I think to myself, like, what am I building this for. Yes, for my children to have a solid future, for them to have a beautiful life, for us to live freely. But sometimes there tends to be more surrounding it. And so I would love to hear your perspective on that. As you're saying, okay, you hate the word budget. I would love to hear a little bit more about that as well. But how would you encourage maybe some practical ways to find that solid balance between enjoying your money and your life now and saving for the future in a wise way. Hey guys, I wanted to take a second to tell you about something that I truly believe can change your life for the better. The Proverbs 31 woman was a woman who not only raised her family with intentionality, but she was also a successful business woman. She left her family early in the morning to make trade deals and was an investor who made and spent her own money. Our economy is not in a good place, but the online industry is not going anywhere. It is a $100 billion industry that has more than enough to go around. I know now more than ever before that people are eager to get away from the nine to five job or a paycheck to paycheck lifestyle and to instead enjoy the beauty that life truly has to offer. We want to work to live, not live to work. And Jesse and I realized the exact same thing, so much so that we actually changed everything. We packed up our home and moved across the country away from the only home we had ever known for 30 years. And why did we do it? For a real quality of life. We were done with the hustle culture that had consumed us for so long. We wanted to slow down and we knew that nobody could do it for us. So I dug into social media and online businesses and everything I learned over the past eight years about serving my audience well and I made it into a course. Nearly eight years ago, I started a blog from my couch holding a newborn and I was covered in spit up. It wasn't glamorous and nothing was laid out for me, but I wanted to talk about the things that I loved. The only problem was that no matter how active I was on social media, likes and follows didn't pay the bills. So I decided to jump into online courses and it completely changed our lives. We no longer have to stress about money or time freedom. We wake up to passive income in our account every day and have all the time in the world to go to our kids' sporting events, school activities, and have brunch on a Tuesday afternoon, all because of our online business. I want to tell you that it definitely isn't too late for you to do it and that you do have something worth sharing and teaching 
even if you don't feel like an expert. If you're a hairstylist, DIYer, teacher, homeschooler, a personal trainer, nutritionist, virtual assistant, or just a mom who wants to bring in extra income for her family, you have something to share with this world. So I have created two huge academies that are jam-packed with every tip and trick that I've learned over the past seven years to build a six-figure online business. There is no gatekeeping here. I am showing you every detail of what I've done to build this business from the ground up. Who does not want more time to spend with their family, to work while vacationing on the beach, or to go to brunch whenever they please? It is possible for you. My Permanently Profitable Academy is a full 11-module course with everything you need to know about starting and making money through social media, blogging, podcasting, affiliates, and online courses. It is two academies for the price of one for a limited time only. And it is available now with a full workbook to help you stay on track, to stop the intimidation, and to answer any and all questions that you have. And here's my promise to you. Once you have finished these lessons, you will have created your own course from start to finish, and you'll have a marketing roadmap for a successful launch to go with it. So what are you waiting for? As always, nothing changes if nothing changes. So click the link in my show notes to sign up for the waitlist or go to sparrowsandlily.com backslash money making bundle. Now let's get back to today's episode. Yes, I do not like the term budget. It feels very much like a diet. Mm-hmm. But when I think of a diet, it feels restrictive right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to drink any wine. not going to have any candy. And then your mind instantly wants those things. Mm -hmm. We tell our mind, no, our mind's very stubborn. We're going to find a way to make it happen. But the awareness of the flow, and even as you were just describing, it's very common. You have now such a good awareness and understanding of why you are the certain way with money. It's not your fault. And that's what I want everyone to know. It's not your fault why you are a certain way with money. You usually get all of your impressions of the world between the ages of three and seven, which is a very young time frame. It's the age of my kids right now, so this is on my mind constantly. And then after those ages, you're still taking in information, but it's just to really reaffirm those beliefs that you've already built. Mm -hmm. So people typically do repeat patterns of their parents or they'll rebel against them both sides can be dangerous mm-hmm. as well. So getting an awareness of why you are a certain way with money is huge. And I'll write yourself a forgiveness note, right? Forgive yourself for past things that you've done with money, past issues or failures, but also know that you're still standing, right? God still got you. You're still here. And there's always an opportunity to make a change. So whenever I see somebody come in and there's a money issue, money problem, I see, think there's a solution. There's an opportunity here. Even if they just do one little thing, it's going to set them on a new trajectory mm-hmm. for their money. So the first step, Lindsay, is to, it's kind of like stepping on the scale. We don't like to do it, but you need to do it to see what our starting point is. What are all of your current expenses? Mm-hmm. Get them down. We have our fixed expenses. We have our miscellaneous expenses. Get them down. And this is a behavior, a new behavior we have to learn that we're going to repeat each month because some months the fridge goes and you need to get a new fridge or you need new car tires. Each month they're going to have these random things in there. So we need to see what is the average that we're spending as well. And then we talk about this in the book Confessions of a Money Queen, My Stable Money Saver. 
Once we know the flow of our money, let's create a savings plan that's going to work with it. And there's a few different buckets that we set up with your money, but the one bucket is I call it the one-year bucket. So whatever goal you have for that year, we're going to drip into this account each time you get paid. And it could be $25. It could be $200. But we're going to drip into it, and you have to use that money that year. People love this because if you are, let's say, a spender, this is going to rein you in. It's still a short enough time frame that you're going to get some instant gratification. Mm-hmm. But it's going to keep you in check. It's going to keep you accountable to tracking your cash flow, setting up your savings, and then you get to spend it on, I don't know, a new car, a vacation, something for the house, a shopping spree, whatever your priority is that year. And then it helps the people who, as you were saying, you kind of hoard money in a bank account like squirrels are hoarding nuts for winter. <laughs> yes. Yes. I see women are very typical. This is very typical for women. It gives you the permission to spend your money knowing you are saving plenty for the future. So it helps women get over that piece of guilt hmm. of, oh, no, if I'm taking from this account, that means I'm not going to have enough. And then they're instantly in scarcity mode. And that's the last thing that we want. We want you to know, I, I'm going to spend this. It's in a separate account. So it's almost as if it's already been spent. We have to learn how to enjoy our money today so that we're not so resentful of money or of our future or of retirement. It makes money more engaging. It makes it more fun. And if you're in a relationship, now it's something that you and your partner can come together to talk about and the goals or the whole family can come in and have discussions on what are we going to use this money for this year? That's so good. Very practical, implementable. I love the idea of the one-year bucket. That is very freeing to me. I was actually just driving around with my brother and sister-in-law and we were talking about scarcity complex and how easy it is to always feel like there isn't enough, but also equally in our world now with technology and AI and opportunity and all those things, there's actually more opportunity than ever to bring in that money and to have that abundance mindset over the scarcity mindset, how different it can shift the way that we live. Um, and, and in t- talking about that, being in scarcity mode, I think the flip side of that is also keeping up with the Joneses, maybe they're related. How do you advise your clients to navigate the pressure and prioritize their long-term financial goals, especially when it comes to feeling like they can't keep up with their neighbor or their best friend? Yes. We're starting to see, we're moving away from this, thank goodness, the keeping up with the Joneses. It's a very dangerous game to play because no matter what, Lindsay, there's always going to be somebody who has more money than no matter what. Yep. And when you look at the Joneses' appearance, nice house, nice cars, great vacations, their finances usually don't back it up. Hmm. And one of the chapters in Confessions of a Money Queen, we talk about the ego and letting go of your ego because usually that's there are a lot of ego-driven purchases or spending. It's And what's the ego? The ego is all from our fears, all of our insecurities that we have with money. So a lot of the keeping up with the Jones' syndrome stem from somebody who grew up very poor and they never felt like they fit in. Hmm. 
So now they're trying to have this outward appearance of having it all together, of making good money. And no matter what, there's always going to be that void of not being enough. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want to tackle first. Why do you feel these urges to have this appearance? Two, you also are chasing somebody else's dreams, somebody else's goals, house. You probably don't even care about them deep down. You just think this is what I need to do to fit in, to blend in as well. So really diving into what are the insecurities you have around money and why are we trying to almost validate who we are with material things? So good. So how can we feel like we are enough even if we don't have that huge house? even if somebody else is earning more than me? How can we find your own version of success, your own version of happiness? And then let's build a financial plan around that instead of around always having to have the newest, best thing possible. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it could be your spouse too, or maybe an ex-spouse partner or your parents, and you kind of got dragged along with it. But you have an opportunity now to – to strip all of that away and see what in my world actually matters to me. What makes me feel fulfilled versus even more insecure as well. We don't want people chasing other people's versions of success. We want to create their own version of success. Right. Oh, and get really- them on the right map for it as yeah. well. So yeah, it all stems from insecurities, unfortunately. Yeah. It's the comparison that we see so much on social media and in real life. <laughs> and as you said, Jessica, you have this moment where you're seeing this beautiful life, picturesque travel plans and all those things, but we're so naive to what's actually going on behind the scenes. And I think that that's something we have to constantly remind ourselves of is to to almost look out the window at our neighbors and see real life happening, to build those side-by-side community relationships, to see what real life actually looks like and not the, the framed Instagrammable life. That is such a good point, Lindsay. (laughs) And it shifts you away from gratitude too, doesn't it? Yes. When we're looking at somebody else's, like, oh, I want that too. I want that handbag. I want that car. And you forget, oh, I have this beautiful car, this beautiful handbag, or I'm on a plan. So when I have the money, I can do that. And I can be stressed the entire time on how I'm going to afford this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. It is. It's such a necessary reminder in our world. But I do agree with you that the keeping up with the Joneses thing, it is fading as financial literacy and financial wisdom become maybe more accessible to people through means of social media, resources like books and podcasts that people no longer desire to have that appearance as much as they desire to be financially wise. And I'm just, for anybody listening who desires that or is on that route, I just want to say congratulations because it's a big step, especially as you said, Jessica, when you came from a certain home style that you're replicating or that you've just learned from. Um, But I want to speak to maybe some women who are listening right now, and this is something I see in my DMs often when I talk about mine and Jesse's investments or the decisions that we're making, and they say, I'm just figuring out how to essentially feed my family or how to pay for my child's books, college books. I can't even begin to think about investments or retirement planning. How would you advise these moms to strike a balance between supporting their children's futures, taking care of their children, and just the basic needs of their home, while also somehow securing 
their own financial well-being during retirement? Yes. I think I I think the theme of our show today is balance. Mm-hmm. You're right. We see this a lot. And as a mom, I know we want to give our children everything possible. And especially in this, we do still see keeping up with the Joneses with so-and-so's parents are paying for their college, for their books. You know, we want to be able to do the same. To me, it always comes back down to expectations. What are everybody's expectations and laying them out? Because when we don't communicate these, that's where a lot of the tension, the resentment builds up and people can get angry. So having honest conversations around, you know, what can we afford as parents? And then what are the children going to be responsible for? You know, a lot of parents nowadays, they want their kids to have some skin in the game when they go to college. College is a huge huge expense Mm -hmm. nowadays. It is multiple six figures Mm -hmm. of an expense. And I remember one lawyer told me he did divorce work because I don't know why we put a two, $300,000 investment decision into an 18-year-old's hands because very rarely do they really grasp Mm -hmm. how much money it is. And it's kind of life's cruel joke that right before retirement, we have to spend Two three hundred thousand dollars on one child, and then you added multiple children mm-hmm. as well. But when you can set up the expectations of, you know, what can we afford without putting our current financial situation in jeopardy or our retirement in jeopardy? Now the child can be responsible for. Well, let me find some very cost efficient colleges, or let me apply for some more scholarships and grants, or this is what I'm comfortable doing with student loans. And when it comes to student loans, education is huge because these kids are walking away from college with a mortgage of student loans, and there's no guarantee of having a salary, of having a job when you graduate. It's a very scary game to play. Mm -hmm. So expectations, education around it, and parents need to have an honest conversation of what they can financially afford, even with each other Mm -hmm. and with their children. And the last thing the child wants is down in the road. Now the parents blew through their retirement money. Now the parents are moving in with the, the grown children and they have to take care of them. Right? That's what we're trying to avoid. So that's the best gift a parent can give is to be financially independent in retirement as long as possible. Well, and speaking of the children, because as moms, we're constantly thinking of how to prepare our children for the world. And in a school, really, as I look back at school, I'm like, yes, trigonometry was great. I will never personally <laughs> use it again. But I really wish somebody would have taught me how to set up a financial plan in college. You know, it's it's really not taught in school. So many practical tips are not taught in schools the way they should be. And as parents, we want to provide that for them. And of course, our lives are that display, right? They watch us. They, they see how we spend, how we save, how we give generously. They're watching our moves. But how would you recommend, this will be my last question, how do you recommend communicating in an effective and healthful way with children about money? Because I am always, you know, really self-evaluating and trying to be aware of how I speak about money so that I'm not fear-mongering, but I'm also not creating entitled children who think that we have everything. Again, back to balance, but how do you encourage and how do you speak to your own children about money in a way that sets them up for financial 
success in the future, but also a healthy perspective and view of money as they grow older. Yes. And it's so important now in a virtual world, kids very rarely see money being exchanged at all. My kids have these piggy banks. Being a financial advisor, (laughs) everybody gave us piggy banks for our children as a gift. So they each have about four piggy banks. (laughs) They have coins. So I actually got coin rollers the other day at the bank. And last night we were all sitting on the family room floor sorting through all the different coins. And they were trying to grasp how much money, and this is a six-year-old and a three-year-old, to grasp how much money for each coin and then how much would that be to, I'm like, what should we do with this money? They're like, buy a house. Okay, it's going to be a few hundred dollars. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. And unfortunately, the schools, as you said, we colleges, high schools, you know, if you're about to apply for student loans, there should be a mandatory student loan course oh that my you gosh. have to go through yes. to understand how interest is occurring the entire time you're in college with certain loans. Mm-hmm. So what you take out is actually going to be more than that what the monthly payment could look like. And then as you said, yeah, setting up your, you need a credit card, you need credit history, bank accounts, emergency funds. When you get your first job, what are all these benefits? How can I best utilize them mm-hmm. instead of just sitting on them? You know, I have so many women who, you know, 50s and 60s say, you know, I wish I met you in my 20s. I mm-hmm. wish I had known this back then. I would have changed so much of my behaviors, of my savings, you know, people get credit cards and they think it's almost like free money. I don't have to worry about it for 30 days and the balance Mm -hmm. just keeps rolling over and over. So meeting children where they're at is very important. Just get them really engaged with money. Ask them, I love asking my daughter, how much do you think that house costs? $218. Okay. Not quite. Probably around $750,000. Yeah. Get them curious about money. Get them engaged. Always keep it positive. And when you're speaking with your spouse about money, they're hearing, they're observing constantly. Mm-hmm. Keep it positive and make sure they see you speaking with your spouse about money. So they understand that in a household, both partners are have an equal say in what's happening with the money, that they both have are a participant in the conversation so that they don't get into a kind of financial abuse, bullying relationship down the road as well. And do different exercises depending on what their age is. As money comes to them, even a newborn will get baptism money or one-year money. And this kid sitting on $500, $1,000, get that money invested for their future. And as they're getting older – have them look at, okay, I can spend a portion of this money. I can save and invest a portion of this money. I can donate a portion. And when it comes to the donating, get the kids involved and see where their heart is, where they really want to make a change in this world. And I think that's mm-hmm. the most exciting piece of is, you know, they can have this huge ripple effect, even if it's $5, $10 of donating it. My kids did a lemonade stand Memorial Day weekend like, what should we do with this money? They made about $120 for like wow. one two-hour thing. I'm like, well, yeah. we need to franchise this, I guess. <laughs> but I said, why don't we donate some of the money to veterans? And then they came up, let's do some too. You know, they were coming up with different ideas. And then that's what was exciting too, that they can make a difference in this world. And they that confidence, that builder, 
is huge. They matter. What they do with their money matters mm-hmm. as well. So get them engaged, keep it positive, and teach them that there's different things they can do with the money as it comes in, whether you spend it, you save it, you invest it, or you donate it. Right? There are four big things that they can do with our money. Thank you for that. That's really helpful to me as a mom. Yesterday, we my boys wanted to go to Chick-fil-A and we've been battling. We live in a city that is, we come from a city that is pretty high poverty and now we live in a city that is the opposite. And I've been noticing because there's so much opportunity here, there are so many camps and kids and things to do that entitlement is becoming a little bit of an issue. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I have been praying about this pretty heavily of how to navigate it with our boys because we don't want to restrict their opportunities, right? We want them to live this life. That's why we came here. But we also want them to live wisely and with gratitude. And so yesterday they wanted to go to Chick-fil-A after camp and started throwing a fit that I said, I don't think this is the day for it. We already have plans. And I then shifted it a bit. And I said, okay, you know what? We will drive all the way home. We will get your money out of your piggy bank. If this is something that you really want, we'll get the the spending money out and we can go. And this is just one example, but it was, you mentioned the confidence, which is what made me think of this is we went in line. We made sure there were not a bunch of people behind us and they both ordered for themselves. I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. They both ordered for themselves. They paid their own money. They had to make sure that they had enough. And it was so cool because usually they'll like swipe my card, right? Or they'll use one of their gift cards, but having the cash in hand, like kind of doing the financial literacy aspect of it all and then giving it, they both came to the table with just like puffed out chests a little bit. They were so proud <laughs> of themselves. And my oldest, he sat down. He was, I was like, I'm so proud of you guys for doing that. He's like, I am proud of myself, mom. I'm really proud of myself. And I said, good, you should be. And then my youngest like, I'm going to clean the toilets so that I can make more money. But it was, it was seeing that confidence in them to want to earn more, to want to have the ability to stand on their own feet. When my five-year-old, I might've kind of thought he's not going to grasp this or he's too young. And I, I really, it was not true. Like I, I really saw the impact that it had. And so I do believe, I believe in everything that you're saying and how powerful it is and that we can gain so much. And I know I said that was my last question, but I'm going to ask a quick question before because I think it's very important. Do you have two to three areas that you might really focus on or recommend for people to invest in for their children's sake and their futures? Yeah. So for children who, you know, they're young or even if they're actually up to teenagers, there are a few different buckets or kind of accounts investments that you can invest for them. The one that most people know of the 529 plan, which is the college saving plan, Depending on your state, you might get some tax benefits for adding money in there. The money grows tax-deferred, so you don't pay any tax on the gains within the account. And as long as it's used for qualified higher education expenses, it comes out tax-free. So that's a very tax-efficient one, but it has to be used for qualified higher education or there's some penalties and taxes you would pay on the balance of it. So that's one option. Another option is a Coverdell account, and that you can use for even like a private high school. You can use this money toward to pay, but you only can put in $2,000 a year into this account. A little bit more restrictive. 
Then there is a uniform transfer to minors' accounts. We call them UTMA accounts because a minor can't have money in their own name. So this way, there's a parent on the account, but it's for the child's benefit. And once they become, they're no longer a minor in their state, it's their money. They can use it for college, a car, a wedding, a house, whatever it is that you and the child see fit for the future. And another option, Lindsay, that most people don't think about is you can get a life insurance policy on your child. Hmm. And within the certain life insurance policies, there are ways that you can, yes, have life insurance, but a good portion of the amount of money you put into it is going into this savings investment bucket. And that can grow tax deferred and it can be used for college or for even your child's retirement down the road. And we've been doing a lot more of this work, especially let's say I have a new couple and she's diabetic. She's type 1 diabetic and we're going to get it on her daughter who's six months old just in case maybe the daughter's not insurable down the road. What happens if she becomes diabetic? Or I have another client and her dad and uncle had heart attacks. She had open heart surgery. So we can get it on their daughter. Just, gosh forbid, something happens with her heart that she's no longer insurable when she's older as well. Mm-hmm. It's a very tax efficient way to grow money and to build wealth for your child while also being something that could really make a huge impact for their future family as well. So a few different kinds of accounts, vehicles that you can put money into, different kinds of investments within each and every one of them. There's not one that's perfect for everybody. It all comes down to, you know, what are your goals? What are your priorities? And there's money that your children are going to receive as gifts, birthdays, graduations. And then there's money that the parents want to set aside for their kids' future. So you might utilize two different strategies for the two different kinds of money that comes into a child's life or as a children work as well. So some different things to think about as a parent when you want to get your kids money invested. That is so good. I had never heard of that, the life insurance policy on a child. That's really good to know. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. This is very, very informative, um, encouraging to my heart. I always love learning more about this stuff. I, I feel like I just always want to keep growing in this knowledge because it wasn't very, I guess, accessible to me when I was younger. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for the joy that you spread, for the encouragement and the wisdom that you give to so many families. Can you tell our audience where they can find you, how they can get more access to you if they want to learn more about financial wisdom. Oh, of course, Lindsay. Yes, you can go to jessicaweaver.com. All my books are there. You can grab the free audiobook of Confessions of a Money Queen if you go to jessicaweaver.com. If you need help with one of our wealth advisors, the womenswealthboutique.com. And then on Instagram and Facebook at pinkfixmymoney because, again, Pink is my whole brand, my whole <laughs> world, and we think pink fixes people's money. So at pink fix my money. Love that. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm honored to have you. And to our audience, we are so thankful for you. If you enjoyed this conversation, as always, please send to a friend, family member, your spouse, someone who can gain insight into the financial world and financial literacy. And if you enjoyed it, also don't hesitate to share on Instagram, share on a story, tag us, let us know what you gained and what resonated with you. And as always, we love you. We pray that this encourages your heart and that you have a great week and we will talk to you next week. Bye.